And I'm going to be reading out of Isaiah here in just a moment. Sharon had mentioned Isaiah 58. Well, I'm going to be in Isaiah 59. And uh, this is something new for us. I knew for a few weeks that uh, Sharon and Doors to Freedom would be with us. And last week, because of encounter, I was not able to underscore the sanctity of life, which was last week underscoring the area of uh, abortion, the abortion plight. And so uh, I thought this Sunday would be a great Sunday in order to underscore the two things we're going to draw our attention to. How many of you know, as I mentioned, God is a God of grace and mercy. Aren't you glad for that? Boy, I sure am. I'm glad he's a God of grace and mercy. But he's a God of truth and justice as well. That's just not Superman. That's God, all right? And uh, we're going to highlight these two issues. And Isaiah 59 is a justice chapter. He's literally speaking to Israel. And I'm finding as I read through the prophets how often God's directive to Israel is so directly applicable to America. And here in Isaiah 59, I just want to read a couple of verses. Beginning with 59 verse 1, it says, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that he cannot save nor his ear heavy that it cannot hear. But, he says, your iniquities have separated you from your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you, so that he will not hear. Now, while this certainly would be applicable to an individual person, he's literally talking to a nation. He's talking to Israel, a nation. He says, your iniquities have separated you from your God, your sins have hidden his face from you, and and he's not hearing you. Now he's going to go on and speak some things here. He says, for your hands are defiled with blood, your fingers with iniquity, your lips have spoken lies, your tongue has muttered perversity. You say, well, that's not me. I understand it's not me either, but he's talking to a nation. Hear this, he's talking to a nation. And then verse 4 is the one that arrested my attention. He says, no one calls for justice, nor does any plead for truth. They trust in empty words and speak lies. They conceive evil and bring forth iniquity. And we will stop there. This is, unfortunately, as much as I love my country and I am as red, white, and blue as they come, unfortunately, this is beginning to epitomize and speak to our nation. As great as I believe America has been and as great as her destiny, I believe in God still yet can be. God says there are no voices anymore calling for truth and for justice. And whether it be in this area of human slavery, human trafficking, and how many of you know that slavery is just plain evil? It's just evil. God calls it evil. Whether it be in this area of trafficking or whether it be in the issue that I will underscore as well on this Sunday, abortion, we have trivialized life. We're to the place where one human being can no longer look at another human being and just see value and just understand life. This past week was the 39th anniversary of Roe v. Wade. It was the ruling which ostensibly legalized abortion. Our president used these words. 
It's a quote. That he celebrates that anniversary for all of our daughters. Now, anyone who knows me knows me well enough that knows I'm an equal opportunity offender. I don't care if there's an R behind your name or a D behind your name. That doesn't matter to me. There's a P behind my name. It's called prophetic. And I'll just say, you may celebrate it, Mr. President, but there are a growing number of us who mourn it. I do not celebrate the fact that thousands of people are trafficked. I do not celebrate the fact that 3,000 innocent people are murdered every day. 1.2 million every year in America without trial, without legal representation, and no opportunity to defend themselves. Every 20 seconds now over the last 39 years, a life is taken. And during this worship service, 150 lives will be killed in their mother's womb. Let the weight of that hit you. Even as you watch the statistics in the other area, let, let the weight of these things hit you. How many of you know we are spiraling if something doesn't happen? 54 million lives are gone since 1973. That's a natural disaster, the size that would wipe out the populations of California, Arizona, Nevada, Oregon, and Washington combined. Now, all of this that we're talking about this morning is an uncomfortable topic. Kids are in the room. We're talking about sex. Hey, listen, I've come to the conclusion that most of them are watching it on television sets, things that I'd never let into my house. And so I just figured if the world will be so bold and if the church can be so blind, then I'm just going to head and prophetically declare some things. The church doesn't become a conscience in our culture. Who will speak? I have a DVD too I want to show you. Just a minute or so. The lights will go dim. Watch, watch the screen overhead, will you please? Guys, go ahead and play it. God is a pair of life. A Bible says, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I stepped you apart. Jeremiah 1.5 For you were created my envelope's being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works is wonderful. I know that full well. My friend was not hidden from you when I was made in a secret place. And I was rolling together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me was written in your book, for one of them came to be. Psalm 149, 14 from 16. For I know the plans I have for you, cares the Lord. Plans prepared for you, for not to harm you. Plans to give you hope in the future. Jeremiah 
In Deuteronomy 30, verse 19, Matt, would you go ahead and post that? It says this, I call heaven and earth as witnesses today against you that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose what? Choose life that both you and your descendants may live. As a culture, we have to come to grips with the opportunity and options that we have in that text that was just put on the screen before you. God has set before us the option of life and death. And tragically, we've chosen death. Now, if there's any good news, I can tell you that statistics tell us that we are slowly winning the abortion debate. More and more people... Interestingly, this generation gets the issues of abortion. Gratefully, we've legislated against partial birth abortion, and now the majority of Americans identify themselves as pro-life. Isn't that good? That, that, the, that the percentages are starting to switch. However, there is one talk radio personality that refuses to use the term pro-life. He calls us anti-abortion. My response is that I refuse to call him pro-choice. I call him anti-existence. Technology has made certain things crystal clear. That what is growing inside a mother's womb is not some unidentifiable piece of flesh or subhuman species, but a baby. I've heard the voices of abortion advocates say, oh no, oh no, 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 it's a fetus. I'm glad you brought that up. Fetus, in the Latin, means unborn baby. It's just that we don't know Latin anymore. There are some who might agree that it may be a living human being, but they want to deny its personhood. It's not really a person you know until a birth takes place. Well, that argument brings up some interesting parallels, I think. For instance, the Dred Scott case in 1857, the Supreme Court said that a black man was not protected by the Constitution because he was not a person, he was property. How many of you know that was a lie? The Nazis said Jews were not persons, so they could be eliminated. How many of you know that was a lie? Society plays shrewd games with vocabulary. It knows that you have to depersonalize and dehumanize a person semantically before the culture lets you exterminate them practically, make them into something less than human. That's what's going on. How can you enslave millions of people in sex trafficking? How can you kill millions of people in the womb unless somewhere in your thought process they no longer become human? And the same culture that will cry out for a mistreated dog or cat they'll step in to stop the butchering of a cow for food purposes will turn its head away from these issues and we say don't bring that up in church it's distasteful it's uncomfortable folks who else will speak to this if not us in my opinion the reason we have demeaned life and people whether it be through the sex slave industry or whether it now is through euthanasia or end-of-life termination is because in 1973, we decided as a culture that some things, some people weren't really people anymore. 
and it was a slippery slope that we jumped on. I'm quite sure that it surprises no one here this morning that I am pro-life. I guess that's probably not a shock to anybody here. I'll just tell you something else. I am, I am theologically conservative, which means I believe the Word of God to be true. I'm, I'm one of those dinosaurs that still believe the Bible is inerrant in all that it touches. I believe that. I tend to be politically conservative, although I hate labels. Anybody that knows me knows I hate labels because labels don't really adequately define a person. But, but sometimes they just have to be used in order to sort of quickly get someplace. But what you may not know is how much intellectual wrestling has taken place in pastor's life through the years. I remember in seminary years ago, the one I attended was surprisingly pro-choice. It was intellectually fashionable to be pro-choice. Professors were trying to appear Harvard-esque in order that they could be accepted by the intellectual elite They wanted to be affirmed by the academic world. How many of you know that everybody's crying out for affirmation? And most of the time we've been sucked into this thought pattern that says, if we don't agree with the media or if we don't agree with the current cultural trends, that somehow we're the dumb ones. We're not dumb. We have the wisdom of the ages. And so they would give us all the arguments and exceptions for Abortion, it was thrown at me constantly growing up in what many thought to be a conservative seminary. And I hate to admit this, but the need for A's and being intellectually immature made it hard not to be sucked into that world. But as the issue slowly became a cultural flashpoint, I began to think for myself and really work through some things in my own life. And you know, preaching, they told me years ago, preaching was truth through personality that's how you define preaching truth through personality and so i'm going to give you some truth and you're going to get it through my personality and it's going to become preaching to you at this point because i've had to wrestle with this but i'm just going to let you hear out loud my wrestling and i'm going to believe that the holy spirit's going to use this in some form or fashion maybe to talk to you because the three greatest arguments that were thrown at us were arguments such as well Yeah, but pastor, what about rape? And what about incest? And what about the life of the mother? And and I'll just tell you that I thought about those things and I found out that all three of these areas account for less than 4% of all abortions that take place. 4%. And yet those three things account for 96% of all the rhetoric you will hear in our culture. Fine. Here's what we'll do. Let's cut out the 96%, and we can all agree on that. And then we can have an intelligent discussion, maybe, on the last 4% after that. You see, I don't know of anyone that disputes that an abortion may be necessary to save the life of a mother. I'll be the first one to tell you that there will be these occasions. I don't know that they're in our modern day of technology. They exist a lot, but there can be occasions that you have to make a choice between the life of a mother and an unborn infant. And as heart-wrenching as that may be, the mother's life, hear it from your pastor, needs to be protected because that's the law of first domain in the Scripture. So when you have two things going on at once, there are those moments you have to choose the lesser of what becomes two evils. Although, I'll just tell you, I have heard of courageous mothers who've looked at their doctors and said, I've lived my life, give, give my baby a chance to live. 
So I, I, I understand that. And that's a tough, difficult decision. And I understand, and I believe even God would, that if given that choice, then it may go to the life of the mother. But, but dealing with rape and incest, as incredibly emotional topics as these things are, they're less than a few percentage points. And I've had people say to me, well, what would you do? What would you do if that happened in a family tree of yours? What would you say? Well, can I just tell you, in our family tree, there's been some interesting things that have happened. And I guess I would start, as I'm wrestling with this myself, by asking who among us is going to play God at this point? Who wants to say that a baby conceived by whatever means can't live? Can we change a wrong by committing a wrong? Let's just say, let's just make it real interesting. Let's just say a white man raped an African-American girl. Would that qualify as an exception? Be careful what you say. Because Ethel Waters was a great jazz and gospel singer and she would not be with us had that been the choice. What about Ruth? Did you know that Ruth is a part of the genealogy of Jesus? And she descended from a man named Noab who was conceived in an incestuous relationship. Ruth wouldn't be with us in the Bible had it not been for people choosing life. No one, listen, no one's advocating for this. No one thinks these things are great things. I simply ask who among us is going to be God? I just, this is where I'm at. I'm tired of arguing with people on the edges. It is time we argued for the 96% that need to live. You say, well, what about pastor handicaps and birth defects and other difficult circumstances? All right, well, let's just say that adds 3%, making the convenience rate now 93%. Let's just say there's a mother who has tuberculosis. What would you do? She has tuberculosis. She's already had four children. One of them has died. One of them is blind. One of them is deaf. And the fourth contracted tuberculosis. Now she comes up pregnant again. Does that qualify for an abortion? Now be careful. Because you just got rid of Beethoven. Beethoven. Think about this. Who determines defective? Who gets to define this? Who gets to say what quality of life means? Are you telling me that a Down syndrome kid, a cerebral palsy child, cleft palate, club feet, no arms, where's the line? The Nazis tried that with the superiority of the Aryan race. Do you believe defective people really have no value? They aren't worthy to come into this world? Then, then you know what? I might not be here. I had a heart defect when I was born. Maybe... If they would have known that, maybe I wouldn't be here and you wouldn't be hearing this glorious message today. Maybe you were born into the world with some things that weren't quite perfect. Where do you draw these lines? What about the poor family that already has 14 kids? They can barely support those kids. There's no quality of life. And all of a sudden, mom becomes pregnant again. Maybe this qualifies. Well, be careful. Because now you just got rid of John Wesley. Or how about the teenager who discovers that she's pregnant out of wedlock? The guy she's engaged to finds out, wants to call the whole thing off, and then suddenly he's, he's ready to, to deal with it. But, but with her background, should she abort? Be careful. You just got rid of the Messiah. Well, Pastor, but just doesn't a woman have a right to choose these things? I mean, it's her body. Doesn't she get to control it? 
How can you? You're a man. You don't even get these things. And I'll agree with you. I don't get it. A lot of it. I'll just fess up. I have found out that I will never join that I had a baby. Your pain isn't as bad as my pain club. I, 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 I got it. I got it. I could, I could lose a leg and it would not, it would not be in that club. So I, I understand, ladies. I, I don't get it. No man in this room gets it. We understand. So how can you even talk in this area? Shouldn't a, shouldn't a woman be able to choose what she wants to do? Well, in most cases, I don't have any desire to tell anyone what to do with their body. However, as a society, we do have some boundaries, don't we? And we do tell people where those lines are even in this area. For instance, we have prostitution laws. You just can't go out even if you wanted to, much less if you were enslaved to do it. You can't do that with your body. We have laws about that. You can't have sex with minor children. We have laws about this. You you can't, as a man, go out and expose yourself publicly because you just want to go and do what you want with your body. You can't use drugs and drink and drive. You can't use your body in that fashion. Hey, we regulate. It's amazing how much some crowds want to regulate us, but when it comes to regulating sex, anything goes. Don't regulate this area. We already regulate and control people's bodies in numerous ways. Why do we do that? Because we believe in life. We believe that there are boundaries. We don't have an unbridled right to do as we please. And in this case, ladies, I'll just share with you, I do believe you are hurting someone else. That baby that's inside of you is a person. Let's be scientifically clear. That baby is not your body. It is a distinct person. It has separate and unique genetic information. It has a different set of chromosomes. It has different genes than you do. It has its own bloodstream. It has a different blood type even than you. In half the cases, you do realize it's a totally different gender. See, you're a host who has a guest for 36 weeks. Now, I don't know any law in America that some guest comes into our house and we have the unbridled right to murder them instantly. I don't think that's the case. What does Scripture say? Jeremiah 1.5, you already heard it on the screen. Post that, Matt. God says, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you and I ordained you a prophet to the nations. Listen to me. You don't consecrate a gallbladder. You don't consecrate, you don't consecrate your pancreas. God didn't consecrate organs. He consecrated Jeremiah, who was in the womb. We need to begin to understand that, that, that this personhood thing is, is a watershed issue today in our culture because it has slowly crept into all the decisions we make. And so let me give you just a couple of actions that we can take. And again, we're going to be receiving an offering and this is going to go to Doors of Freedom, but we're going to do some things in these two areas because I just think they're the, they're the line in the sand areas in our culture that have to be addressed and that the church is the one that needs to begin to address it. Number one, definite actions, is that we need to be informed and become proactive. We need to hold our governmental leaders to the moral high ground. It is time, whether you're calling in on the human trafficking amendment, when they say we don't think it's that big of a deal, they need to hear from us because it is a big deal. Thousands, I'm using the term thousands of trafficked people are in South Carolina and we have no laws to address this. 
At the same time, we need to understand that they need to hear from us with regards to life, all life. And you need to understand, especially in an election year, elections have consequences. I mean, some of these leaders, our president has the ability to nominate judges. I'll say it right now. It is my litmus test. You have no other right if you don't have the right to life. Don't tell me about economic freedom and justice. If you aren't alive, it don't matter. I mean, this is where it all starts from. That's why the Declaration of Independence says that we were endowed by our Creator with certain inalienable rights, among which are what first? Life. Life. You have, you, don't talk to me about liberty if you aren't alive. Don't talk to me about all the other things of the world that we need to focus in on and why are you so myopic. It's because if we don't get life, we won't get economics. Come on, 54 million people are no longer with us. Now, I don't know how many of those would be of work age now, but let's just say we just we cut out you know, a third of it because they'd just be too young yet to work. And so you've probably got about 30 million or so. You take out 10%. For how many aren't working currently, so you're down to 27 million. There are 27 million citizens, potential citizens, that are no longer with us that could now be working and in the workplace and be paying for your social security. They would be paying for taxes. They'd be creative people. They would have started businesses. You want to know what this issue is? It's not just convenience People talking economics and social security and where are we getting the money? 27 million taxpayers. Not to mention, where are the prophets and the apostles and the pastors and the teachers and the missionaries? Who's to say? If you don't hear it from me, where do we hear this? Impassioned. Message. Politicians can't say it because they're navigating a media. It's not the culture, it's the media. Because lest you slip with one little word, they'll pounce on you and drive you back into your corner. And they're trying to drive us back into the caves. The church can stay in its four walls, but don't you dare come out of those walls and begin to talk to us about morality in the streets. That is why I will probably, I say probably because you never say never. I cannot see myself running for office because I have too much documented on iTunes that could be used by the media against me. We don't need more politicians. We need more prophetic voices that will look people in the eye and say there's a right and there's a wrong and it's time you heard what was right. Right. Yes, there are right and wrong. Come on, if you don't hear from... In the church, we won't declare right and wrong anymore. This is right, this is wrong. People sold into human trafficking, that's wrong. Come on now. There's rights and wrongs. We no longer hear, don't have sex before you're married. It's wrong. I know you don't hear that anymore. People won't say that in church. Why? Because you'll run off all the people that are living together. And we don't want to run off living together. I don't want you to run off. I want you to do what's right. Do what's right. There's right and there's wrong. Come on. This is, this, if it doesn't happen here, we've lost this culture. If you say to yourself, I don't want a church like that, then you've lost the culture. Because someone has to declare these things. And I'm just, I've told you this before, I've lost everything once already in my life. And once a man loses everything he has once and finds out that God's still there, he becomes dangerous. Because you can't take anything away from me that I haven't already lost. 
You say, well, I'll leave. Well, go ahead. Hundreds of them have left already. I don't want you to, but that doesn't affect me anymore. Take my money with you. Go ahead. You're not my source. God's my source. He supplied all my need. We will still build. We will still raise up his house. We will still affect this culture. And, and your nickel isn't going to stop what God wants to do. But somebody has to just hit the culture. But before we hit the culture, it's got to hit the church, see? See, I can feel the anointing. It's starting to, to fall right now. It's an election year, man. You've got to think about these things. Don't vote your pocketbook. Vote life. If you vote life, that'll affect your pocketbook. Used to be we'd have big families. Now, again, everybody's got to do what they've got to do in this area. And I, you know, I have no problem personally with birth control. But the point I'm trying to make is there was a day we had families and we didn't worry about the government caring for us. Our families cared for us. But now we don't have families anymore because we just divorce is just a part of our thought process and families are fractured. And, I mean, and, and so therefore we don't have these families like we used to. And so everybody's crying out to the government to help me, help me, help me. Come on, family. That's, that's even what the Bible teaches. Family is your first safety net. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with safety nets as a culture. I'm not making a, really a political statement. I'm just saying our families are broken down. Life is broken down. Therefore, everything is broken down. So, be informed, be proactive. Teach your kids sexual purity. Don't teach them, I, we say this all the time, don't teach them the model of uh, the prodigal son who left the house, teach them the model of Jesus being 13 years old and being found in the Father's house. Teach them abstinence. They're not a dog, they're not a cat. They don't have to jump on everything that walks by them. Say, kids are in the room, Pastor. Yeah, because they won't hear it. Number two, we've got to be compassionate. Show kindness. I'm passionate, but our passion is linked to kindness. Show kindness to the unwed mom. Because unfortunately, because it's a mom, it's a woman, she bears the stigma, mostly, of what's taken place. If it were up to me, I'd go run the dude down. With a car. No, I'm not, no, 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 I don't mean that. I don't mean that. I don't, that was a joke. I don't mean that. I don't mean that. I don't mean that. I don't mean that. Run him down by just making him responsible. Takes two to tango. I think, I think he ought to wear a sign for nine months that says something like, I did this to her. I mean, that would cha- maybe that would change guys. Because, because the woman has the, the, the effects of it right there. She bears the stigma. She bears the embarrassment. She bears the whisper. She bears the gossip. We ought to make the guy wear a sign that said, I'm the one that did it, and I won't marry her. They ought to put a sign on him that just says that. Why not? That would be fair, wouldn't it? Everybody talks about fairness. It's not fair that a woman has to bear this. Well, let's just put the sign on the man. Let it just exist right here. Let's pass a law that makes him wear that for nine months. That's fair. Seems fair to me. Aren't you glad I'm not your president? Help, help that unwed mother. Help these girls, like Sharon's trying to do. Don't just be mad at the sin. Build a house. Help them. Help them. 
We don't condone the sin. Obviously, we don't. We don't think that's the right thing to do. But care for the person. Justice isn't just saying no. It's providing a solution. The gospel is the gospel of answers and solutions. So we're going to support, like, Doors to Freedom. We're going to support pregnancy centers. I know there's a new one here even in West Ashley. We're going to support adoption. We're going to support kindness to those who have experienced even the pain. Some of you may have had abortions in your life and maybe you didn't realize or you didn't know or you hadn't thought it through. You even may regret it. Hear me right now. We're not against you. We feel for you. We want to be kind and you can be healed and you can be made whole. And I understand people are in these situations and it happens and then they have these regrets. I'm here to tell you today, I don't want you in that torment. I want you to be set free by Jesus. And he can set you free from that torment. God loves you. He can forgive you. He does. And he can restore you. And I have watched women, women be great voices in this area as they look at little girls pondering that decision and say to them, I made that decision and believe me, you don't want to make this decision. Be compassionate. Number three, become active. Not everybody's ready to go to the front line in the cultural engagement. I understand if you're here today, you may be a guest today and you said, what have I walked into? It's Justice Sunday. Next Sunday, well, Mike Ware will be here and hard telling what will happen next Sunday. But this isn't an every Sunday deal for us. But every now and then, pastor has to keep the congregation's spirit in mind and focus. But there's a larger challenge ahead of us than just building four walls of a church. Not everybody, I get this, not everybody's ready to go to the cultural front line. I got it. Not everybody's ready probably to do what Kelly, Sharon's doing. Not everybody's ready to do that. But we need to ask, what can we do to start moving from where we are to that next step of being a help, change agent in this area? What can I do? One of the reasons I liked taking the Band of Brothers, our men, up to Pittsburgh, it's one of the things we do. And I literally think of all the things that took place, this might have been, in my estimation, one of the greatest impactful things that they did as I listened to their testimonies, is that we all got on our bus and we went to downtown Pittsburgh and we had a prayer vigil. That's all it was, was a prayer vigil. We weren't rescuing at Planned Parenthood. We weren't doing anything. We weren't blocking anybody from getting in. We were standing on the street as men in a prayer vigil on the streets of Pittsburgh, praying. Had some signs, but not even everybody had a sign. And all of a sudden, they were able to see firsthand the gates of darkness. They were able to see dads bringing their little daughters to come in to extinguish the life. They were able to see boyfriends bringing their girlfriends. They were able to see how we didn't do anything but pray, how it got everything all stirred up and the police were called and all these police cars are coming. And you want to talk about your heart going... Because, I mean, as Christians, you know, we're law-abiding citizens. Don't you know? Romans 13. But don't you know Acts 5.29 when it says we must obey God rather than man? And there are moments, there are moments, watershed moments, in, in whether it's your personal life or culture's life, that we say, this, this probably is where the line is, and we've got to at least try and do something. And we don't do this, you know, we don't do this every week. Those of you that have been around Legacy know that we, we, we try to keep culturally engaged. We're going to be more culturally engaged. But this was good for the guys to get a taste of what it means to be on the street with a justice issue.
and to watch their eyes. And then to hear their testimonies and their tears. And something happened in those guys. And it literally, I think, changed them. Changed them. Nobody went to jail. Nobody, nobody was, uh, I think, embarrassed greatly. It just, it just shows us that the church, church has to do something to begin to say, this, this can no longer exist. This grieves the heart of God. We have to get our feet wet on occasion. What are you going to do to get your feet wet? I don't know what that may mean for you. There may be other opportunities. At the end of this service, it, all it's going to cost you maybe is just something on a check. It's not, that's really not much. But you've got to ask yourself the question, what am I going to begin to do to become active? That's what pastor is asking himself. Because I'm not going to sit on the stands and watch the culture run off the cliff. Somebody ought to be there at least waving their hands on occasion. Saying, this, this is not God's way. This is not God's, this is not God's order. There is a better way. Stop. And then lastly, I just put down here, we can pray, obviously, and we can give. I know it's a word that we say, but it's a true word. Nothing is impossible with God when we pray. I want something dramatic all the time. I love dramatic things, don't you? I mean, just when God goes, Pfft. hey, can I just share this with you, by the way? This wasn't on my notes. This is free. Just, I love it when God does things dramatic. We moved my son Clay this week from, you know, Gainesville, Georgia, and he's in Jacksonville, Florida. And uh, we drove up to Spartanburg, and uh, we were getting ready on Friday morning. Trace and I were getting ready to go to her dad's uh, house for a birthday uh, celebration. And the 700 Club was on. And I, I don't know, I didn't watch the 700 Club in ages. And... Um, uh, they were talking about reaching Hindu nations and Muslim nations and Buddhist nations. And it was a pretty compelling presentation. You know, you get the sight and the sound and the word. And uh, Trace comes out from the bathroom. She's getting ready and she looks at me and she says, we need to do this. Now, I will fully admit when it comes, my wife has a giving heart. I mean, if God ever made us millionaires, she would give it all away. I can just tell you that's her heart. She'll just, she's a giver, 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 giver. She would give it all away. And rightly so. I'm not quite that quick. I'm a little bit, I will. Let's wait just a minute. Because in my mind, I'm thinking, hey, well, you know, we got, we got church, we got building project, we got doors to freedom that's coming. I mean, I got some things lined up here that I know we're going to give to. So, you know, I mean, you know, you got to. So we had a little discussion there. About, about whether I'd follow God or not. <laughs> Anyway, I just, I, this, just hear this. This is so great. This is how he uses her, and this is how he teaches me. I finally said, okay, after some discussion, I picked up the phone, I dialed the number, and I, uh, I called in, and I said, we want to we join this thing. And, and uh, it was just like 20 bucks a month or something like that. It'd be about $200 thereabouts for the year. And uh, we went through all that process, and then at the end, the sweet lady on the phone said, is there anything we can pray with you about? And I said, well, we are building a building, and we're trying to move to some new property, and we're trying to reach our region, and, you know, I was kind of going through the thing, and, you know, sometimes financing is challenging, and uh, we just like to see some breakthrough in this particular area. So would you pray with us with regards to that? And she did just right there, she prayed 
Well, we agree, Father, in the name of Jesus, that you would cause this, open up for this church, and great prayer, amen, hung up the phone. Listen to this. This is crazy. It couldn't have been four or five hours. You know those two properties in Dillon County that we wanted to get sold? And they, let me just tell you something about these properties. They are ratty. I mean, it's, they're terrible. And I mean, I, I even paid, I had to pay the taxes on them, and that's a whole other story uh, at the beginning of the year. And I thought to myself, this is where my faith was on this. I said, Lord, I'll probably just have to give them, you know, just give them away because who buy this stuff? I mean, it was just ratty. And the guys that have seen it know what I'm saying. I'm saying they're in, they're in nothing. Even if you had a construction anointing on your life, I mean, it's just, it was ratty, ratty, bad, ratty. So 20 bucks a month, that's all. I mean, listen, and anyone that knows me knows that I believe in prosperity. But it's like I don't teach like, you know, you give it now in like 24 hours you get cha-ching. You know, that's not how I teach it. You know, you got to look at prosperity with longevity. But I'm not kidding. Four hours, I get an email from our realtor and says, I just want to let you know, both the properties are sold. It's a cash deal. I'm like going... No joke. Well, Lord, I'd have given to CBN years ago. <laughs> That's kind of how I felt. If I'd have known it works this fast, here, take another 20. I'm not trying to make this trite, and I don't want you walking away saying, ah, oh, you see, he's one of those you give and God... No, 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 no. For me, it's, it's, sometimes it takes years to see my seed grow. But listen, nothing is impossible for God. He will raise up that house. God's will done, God's way will never lack God's resource. For where God guides, he provides. There's no lack in his kingdom. He'll get the job done, even in a bad economic situation. With ratty houses. Have mercy, Sharon. I would even have given you those houses and said, look at them. I'd have been embarrassed. Ratty. But we give to those who are called and will redeem our resources in justice battles. You can at least do that. This isn't an every week deal at Legacy. I keep saying this because I know for some people just preaching on it, it makes their heart go. Should have seen those guys on the streets of Pittsburgh. But I don't think they'll ever be the same. There's something in the heart of men and women that yearns to declare justice. Alan Keyes, and I'll conclude with this. Alan Keyes said, America has once again arrived at a momentous crossroad. We're going to have to decide, as we have had to decide so many times in the past, whether we shall only speak of justice and speak of principle, or whether we shall stand and fight for them. We're going to have to decide whether we shall quote the words of the Declaration of Independence with real conviction or whether we shall take that document and throw it on the ash heap of history as we adopt the message of those who insist that we stand silent in the face of injustice. When it comes to deciding whether we shall stand by the great principle that declares that all human beings are created equal and endowed by their creator with the right to life, it seems to me there is no choice for silence. There is no choice for silence. Let me pray.